Everyone has a story, different needs, wants, and goals, and how to attain them. Your story determines your solution. Whatever your situation and story, locum tenens should be a part of the conversation. How do you find out if locum tenens is a good option for you? Go to an unbiased, informative source like locumstory.com. You'll learn all the ins and outs of locums, details on travel and housing, assignment coordination, tax information, and more. You'll also hear firsthand stories from local physicians from all walks of life, so you get a bigger picture of the diverse options. Get a comprehensive view of locums and decide if it's right for you at locumstory.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. You are tuned into our OITE review series, and we're still covering some pediatrics. And my name is Dr. Cole, and myself and Dr. Spencer Wilwine are doing this audio podcast review series for the board slash OITE exams. I guess now more for the OITE because those are coming up soon and if you are studying for that and you want something to look at while we are having this conversation on here why don't you go and check out our podcast companion book which is now available on amazon the link is in the description for this podcast and uh let's just go ahead and hop into today's episode you are now listening to nailed it the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors jay fitz and wendell cole And then um, what is idiopathic avascular necrosis of the proximal femur epiphysis? Yeah, so it's going to be that leg cows perthes disease named after the three physicians that um, that, that, died, that figured this out. Um, so again, idiopathic AVN, leg cows perthes disease. And what this does is going to lead to an aspherical femoral head. Um, it's going to be more common in boys aged four to eight. Um, and when it presents a little bit earlier, it's associated with a better prognosis. So like presentation um, under the age of six is associated with a better prognosis. And the big thing about peds is like, you know, sometimes they may just come in with knee pain or they, sometimes they may just have a limp and some pain and, and that'll be it. Um, so again, like has Percy's disease, it's going to lead to an aspherical femoral head, uh, more common in boys aged four to eight years old. Um, yes, uh, if they present a little bit earlier, it's going to be associated with a better prognosis. Now, what are the stages of Perthes disease? There's four typical stages of Perthes, and this is not to be confused with the uh pillar classification, but the stages of Perthes is at first they get an irritable hip, um, or irritable knee. Um, I, I know that you briefly talked about it, but. Um, for patients, for pediatric patients, especially that come in and they're complaining of knee pain, but you can't really find anything wrong with their knee, always get a hip x-ray because it may be due to um, irritation of either like the obturator nerve or uh, some sort of synovitis that uh, activates the um, adductor muscular compartment that leads to knee type pain rather than hip um, Then you get the fragmentation phase and the fragmentation phase is always the most uh, painful. Um, that's when you get segmented ossific nucleus and collapse on x-ray. Then you get reossification, which is uh, starting to heal. It's reparative. Their pain gets a little bit better. Their vascularity is restored. And then the residual is when the remodeling uh, happens. That's when they're really back to kind of doing the stuff that they want to do. They have very minimal pain um, and they're on the healing process. And then uh, what is the uh, herring lateral pillar classification look at? Yeah, so this is going to look at the percentage of the amount of height that's lost. And this is 
grouped into three groups. So you have um, group A, which is going to be a height of a, um, the lateral pillar is going to be normal. Um, group B, the height of the lateral pillar is still greater than 50%. And then group C, the height of the lateral pillar is less than 50%. And um, as you can as, as you can guess, um, C is going to be worse. So C is going to be, again, 50% greater than 50% loss of height of the lateral pillar. So that's going to be a little bit worse. Um, so what is the treatment for leg calves Percy's disease? Uh, first of all, you want to do your best to just do supportive management, especially in the young patients, the less than six years old, because they are the ones who are, they have a better prognosis. They have a higher propensity to spontaneously resolve. If it's a Perthes kid in the like 11 to 13 range, then it's a little bit different story. But yeah, you don't want to jump straight to surgery for these. You want to cast or brace. You want to do some activity modification. Um, maybe it's a nutrition consult for the very obese patients, um, that sort of stuff. And then um, if they do progress or they are in need of surgery, that's fine. But you just have to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And so um, if it's a later disease, if it's a herring B or a herring B slash C, then you can consider uh, femoral or pelvic osteotomies. And the whole goal is to contain the femoral head. Um, and by containing the femoral head, again, that may be one of those varus osteotomies rather than a valgus osteotomy, because what you're doing is trying to contain the femoral head so that it has the best chance to remodel within the spherical shape of the acetabulum and be a pain-free hip as they become a teenager and young adult. Um, but uh, I think that's really it for the uh, Perthes. Um, yeah. If they're if they do progress so far that they've just developed collapse and they are 14 years old and there's really no chance of spontaneous recovery and their uh, femoral head is starting to erode into their acetabulum and uh, all of that, it's typically in the United States it's treated with just a uh, total hip. Uh, because the destruction is so severe. Other places like overseas or um, uh, down in Australia, they may try distraction um, arthroplasty, where they basically put an external fixator on the pelvis and the femur, and they do a, a distraction of the joint to help scar tissue form in there so that they're not doing a total hip on such a young patient. But um, in my fellowship, we just did uh, total hips on these patients with destroyed uh, acetabulums because of their perthes. Um, and then kind of moving on to a probably a more common, more testable hip issue in pediatric patients is skiffy. What's the typical presentation of a patient with skiffy? Yeah, so skiffy or, or slip capital femoral epiphysis. So this is going to be like an adolescent. The, the classic is like an obese male or an obese um, adolescent with a limp that presents. So, they, But they can also be thin. So they can be very thin and they can be obese. Um, but somebody that presents with a limp. And some of the things on physical exam that they may have, they may have, they come again with pediatric patients, they may come in with knee pain, but it's really coming from their hip. Um, and they can also just come in with hip pain. But one of the things that you'll see is when you flex them up, they'll have obligate external rotation of the hip because the, um, uh, the because of the slip up proximally on the hip. And this is 
I believe it's called a loader classification on how you know stable versus unstable Skiffy. And if they can, it, it's very simple. It's one of my favorite classifications out there. It's stable if they can ambulate. And if they can, if they are unable to ambulate, it's an unstable Skiffy. So stable Skiffy, if they can still ambulate. If they cannot ambulate, it's an unstable Skiffy. Uh, and this next question I've seen multiple times um, through what zone um, does Skiffy happen? Yeah, they, for whatever reason, they love this. Um, and it's different for syndromic skiffies or those due to um, uh, renal, some sort of like secondary renal issues. But um, going back to that, just real quick for that uh, stable and unstable classification, the reason mm -hmm. why that is so useful is uh, stable hips have a very low likelihood that they are going to progress to uh, AVN, but unstable hips or the unable to ambulate ones are the ones that have a higher uh, incidence of development of AVN. Um, I think that's the important part with that classification. So uh, just knowing that is, is important. And then the, the zone that the skiffy occurs through is the hypertrophic zone. And what happens is the femoral neck is actually displaced anterior and um, externally rotated compared to the uh, femoral head. And they call it a slipped capital epiphysis. Um, which makes you think that the uh, the femoral head falls off the back of the femur, but the femoral head typically stays in its place, and it's the femoral neck that moves. And so a more uh, reliable term, in my opinion, for these is actually a slipped femoral neck epiphysis rather than a slipped capital epiphysis because the head stays within the acetabulum and the neck displaces anterior and an external rotation. Mm -hmm. um, and then what are some of the radiographic clues that there is a skiffy? Yeah. So you're going to look at Klein's line, um, which is, this is a line tangential to the superior femoral neck border. And this line um, typically should intersect the proximal femoral epiphyses and they typically show this to you on like a frog lateral but you can also see it on a on an ap of the pelvis but a lot of times it'll be a frog lateral and you'll and you'll just continue if you just take a line and continue it up the superior uh, femoral neck it should intersect the proximal femoral epiphyses. but since that slip has occurred and the femoral neck is again like you just said displaced anteriorly it does not intersect um, the proximal femoral epiphyses other things you can note in Skiffy um, on the radiographs are a widened physis. You can have blurring of the uh, proximal metaphysis as well. And um, and again, one of the, the most sensitive ways to detect Skiffy is getting that that lateral um, X-ray of the hip. Um, that's going to be really sensitive in uh, detecting Skiffy. So lateral X-ray of the hip. And again, you want to look at Klein's line. So. You know, we touched the base on on what it is, through what zone, how do you present, and some of the classificational skiffy. But how do you treat this? So the uh, treatment for uh, skiffy is usually in situ pinning. You don't you don't want to perform a big reduction because the blood flow is already um, very tenuous, and so by performing a reduction with distraction and 
moving the femoral neck around on the head, um, it can cause further disruption in the blood flow. Um, so you're going to do an inside to pinning with a 6.5 millimeter or larger screw. And you basically want to get it perpendicular to the physis. And uh, it takes it doing a couple of these in residency to actually understand that the screw actually starts more on the anterior aspect of the femoral neck and projects posterior into the femoral head rather than being like a set of screws like we normally do for a geriatric, uh, like valgus impacted femoral neck fracture. They don't, they usually don't insert over the lateral cortex next to the greater trochanter. These screws are more on the anterior aspect of the femoral neck and project uh, posterior. Um, you can, uh, I don't think they're going to necessarily test you on this, but there are some surgeons that believe that the intracapsular hematoma and increased pressure is related to AVN development. So they may slide a cob uh, up the femoral neck to release the capsule and release that uh, intraarticular hematoma pressure. Um, um, you can do an open reduction. Um, the patients who uh, require like a surgical hip dislocation are the ones that um, they either have uh, skiffy malunion um, or they still have a painful hip and the hardware has failed. You can do a surgical hip dislocation with a uh, greater trochanteric osteotomy. Um, you dislocate the hip, you put the femoral head back on top, and then you do retrograde uh, pins to hold that femoral head in place and then dislo or and then reduce the hip and put it back in. Um, but they probably won't test you on when a surgical hip dislocation is needed versus not. Um, you want to work up uh, for endocrine abnormalities if the patient is under 10 years old. And some of those endocrine abnormalities are things like hypothyroidism. And that's the most common form or most common etiology of non-idiopathic skiffy. And you're going to see an elevated uh, TSH, but low uh, T3, T4. You can also work them up for renal osteodystrophy, um, a growth hormone deficiency, panhypopituitarianism. Um, and uh, again, those are for the kids who have a skiffy and they're under 10 years old because kids under 10 shouldn't be having a, a slipped capital femoral epiphysis. Um, and so uh, it another kind of hot topic in skiffy is what are some of the instances that you would actually consider doing both hips, even though only one hip may be injured? Yeah. So some of the things that you, I mean, that you just mentioned. So in, in, in young kids that have open triradial cartilage, you know, less than 10 years old, you may consider, it, or somebody that has an endocrinopathy, like you just mentioned, like, you know, any thyroid disorders, uh, renal disorders, renal osteodystrophy. So the, really the endocrinopathies and the really young patients with open triradial cartilage, those are the ones that you may um, consider doing, um, bilateral hip pinning or prophylactic um, pinning of the of the contralateral side. And so we touched base on um, on bilateral pinning and treating it, but what are some complications seen with Skiffy? The most common one that they're going to want you to know about is osteonecrosis or AVN of the femoral head. And again, that goes back to that presentation of an unstable versus a stable Skiffy. If they are unstable, again, they are 
unable to walk because of the pain versus a stable skiffy means that they can still walk. Um, and then you can also get chondrolysis because of hardware penetration. And that may be in conjunction with osteonecrosis as that femoral head erodes from osteonecrosis. Those screws that you put in for fixation of the skiffy uh, are now prominent in causing acetabular destruction. And then if they end up healing their skiffy, uh, because that femoral neck is anteriorly uh, positioned in uh, relation to the femoral head, you can get a kind of a cam type uh, femoral acetabular impingement. Um, and they'll just have that residual deformity and you can treat that with either, uh, if the if it's significant, you would have to do like an open reduction or a, a surgical hip dislocation with an osteotomy of the femoral neck and fixation versus a, a hip scope with a uh, kind of an osteophyte uh, takedown like you would do for a cam type uh, femoral acetabular impingement. But um, again, knowing Skiffy and Perthes will definitely get you multiple questions on both the OITE and ABOS. So know those two topics well. Oh, yeah, definitely the pediatric hip. And um and next you know coming up soon we'll, we'll get to the you know the pediatric foot and, and some of these other conditions but uh yeah it's been good at least we got the hip we got the uh we, we've covered the hip so for those that are listening that um that love it please go and and leave us a review uh, if you hate it just send us an email don't leave a review <laughs> um, <laughs> uh you know if there's anything that we missed or or may have gotten wrong just uh, email us and you know we can we can fix it and, and talk about things and uh and without further ado uh we'll we'll see everybody you know next time that we come back and talk some more uh, some more pediatrics Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the You Nailed It Ortho podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it and we hope that you all are learning something. And again, if you all want something that you can take notes on, that you can get timestamps on and come back and listen to the podcast and that you can just pull out and do a quick read for five or 10 minutes, check out our podcast companion book. It is now available on Amazon. And if you do check it out, please leave us a five star review. That would help us out a bunch. And until next time. Everyone has a story, different needs, wants, and goals, and how to attain them. Your story determines your solution. Whatever your situation and story, locum tenens should be a part of the conversation. How do you find out if locum tenens is a good option for you? Go to an unbiased, informative source like locumstory.com. You'll learn all the ins and outs of locums, details on travel and housing, assignment coordination, tax information, and more. You'll also hear firsthand stories from local physicians from all walks of life, so you get a bigger picture of the diverse options. Get a comprehensive view of locums and decide if it's right for you at locumstory.com.